0: Hello and welcome to episode 5 of PawneeCast. I'm your host, Vicky Biloseva, and for this episode, we have a little bit of a special surprise. By listening to this episode, you may be eligible to receive continuing education credit. Please see the information in the description of this episode to get more information on how to sign up. Today we'll be discussing the empagliflozin in in heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, otherwise known as the Emperor Preserved Trial first published in the New England Journal of Medicine in October of 2021. With me today, we have Dr. Alyssa Wozniak, Clinical Assistant Professor at Duval School of Pharmacy and Residency Program Director at Vital Pharmacy, and Dr. Gurdjot Sandhu, PGY2 Ambulatory Care Pharmacy Resident at Catholic Health. Both of them will be helping us with today's discussion. So before we begin, uh, would both of you be able to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. I'll go first. My name is Dr. Alyssa Wozniak. I'm a clinical assistant professor at D'Youville School of Pharmacy, and I'm also a residency program director at Vital Pharmacy. So at D'Youville, I teach topics that are related to management of chronic conditions, such as diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. And then in my clinical practice as a pharmacist, I take students on rotation so that they can learn to manage those conditions. When we do that both in a primary care family medicine clinic, Ajeva Health Professions Hub, as well as through Vital Pharmacy and trying to improve some of the quality outcomes for those patients. And I'll pass it over to Gerjo to introduce herself.
2: Hi everyone, this is Gherjot. I am a current PGY2 Ambulatory Care Pharmacy resident at Catholic Health. I went to the University at Buffalo for my undergraduate and PharmD education and I graduated as part of the class of 2020. I then went on to complete my PGY-1 pharmacy residency at the Upstate University Hospital, and thank you so much for having us today.
0: Of course, I think both of you have a lot of expertise within this particular area, so thank you so much for taking your time to discuss this topic. So as we will be talking about heart failure, would you mind giving a little bit of an introduction and background on the disease state? Of course.
1: Heart failure is the inability of the heart to pump enough blood to meet the blood flow and energy requirements of the body. One way in which heart failure is primarily classified is by measuring a patient's ejection fraction. An ejection fraction of 40% or less is known as heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, or ref. It's also commonly referred to as systolic heart failure. Conversely, an ejection fraction greater than 50% is known as heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, or HEPF. It's also referred to as diastolic heart failure you may be wondering, what about those people in the middle, between 40 and 50 percent? Those patients are considered to have heart failure with mid-range ejection fraction. You may see HFMREF, heart failure with mid-range ejection fraction.
2: And historically, we have had a plethora of evidence for therapies that provide mortality benefit in the setting of pef which has led to a set of guidelines by the ACC and AHA, for the management of hef These were most recently updated in 2021, and they do include the addition of SGLT2 inhibitors, specifically empagliflozin or Jardians, which we will be talking about today, as well as dapagliflozin or Farcega, again, in patients with HEF-REF. Unfortunately, we have had a lack of therapies with proven mortality benefit in the setting of hef and there are no set guideline recommendations for these patients, similar to hef However, the addition of the trial that we will be talking about today, the Emperor Preserve Trial, has changed this, and empagloflosin or Jardians is the first agent to show a clinically or statistically significant mortality benefit in patients with HEFPA.
0: Before we jump into the Emperor Preserve Trial, just want to introduce everybody to the patient case that we're going to be discussing, and it'll help us apply some of the information in the trial. So, patient AB is a 62 year old Caucasian female presents to the clinic for follow-up for chronic disease state management. She has a past medical history significant for heart failure, hypertension, and type 2 diabetes. Her current medications include metformin, 1,000 mg BID, furosemide, 40 mg daily, spironolactone, 25 mg daily, and lisinopril, 10 mg daily. Current labs include a hemoglobin A1c of 8.2%, total cholesterol of 170, LDL of 73, HDL of 50, and triglycerides of 130. Her urine-to-albumin-creatinine ratio is 20, her EGFR is greater than 90, and she has a BNP of 400, while all labs are within normal limits. During today's clinic visit, her vital signs were obtained with a blood pressure of 138 over 78, and her heart rate was measured at 72 beats per minute. She was diagnosed with heart failure in 2016 and her last heart failure exacerbation was one year ago and she has been stable since. Her last echocardiogram showed her rejection fraction at 52%. The patient denies any symptoms at rest but does report mild shortness of breath with her daily walks. At today's visit, she would like to continue working on her heart failure therapy and optimize the management of her diabetes and hypertension. Dr. Wozniak and Dr. Sandu. What are your initial thoughts about this patient case? Is there any information that you'd like to know and what are the therapy options that you're considering?
1: The first condition we can discuss is her heart failure. I would like to focus on her ejection fraction, uh, which would help us categorize if this is heart failure with reduced ejection fraction or heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. Her heart failure can be classified as heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. Uh, That's because her ejection fraction is measured at 52%. I would also like to discuss her symptoms. So she denies any symptoms at rest, but does report dyspnea with normal physical activity. So I would categorize her as heart failure with preserved ejection fraction NYHA class 2, as per those standard staging criteria.
2: Looking at her therapy, I think it's important to ensure that she is on appropriate medication therapy for each of the conditions that she has been diagnosed with. Currently, this patient is on furosemide 40 milligrams daily, and this is in the class of medications called loop diuretics. We do use these medications in heart failure for symptom control, and it's important to note that these have not been shown to provide mortality benefit in heart failure. They will, of course, improve a patient's quality of life by improving symptoms such as shortness of breath and edema, so it's important to continue this medication.
1: Something we can also consider is actually increasing the dose of this medication, given that the patient is having some mild dyspnea with physical activity. We can also recommend that the patient check her weight at home to see if she is retaining fluid or if she's remaining stable with her weights. We can also provide the patient with a fluid management plan so that she knows when to reach out to her provider or when to adjust the dose of furosemide herself as per her management plan. The patient's also on lisinopril, which does not have proven mortality benefit in this patient because, again, she has heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, unlike how in heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, it would have this mortality benefit. But in in this patient, it is used to help with blood pressure control given her comorbidity of hypertension, and therefore it's appropriate for her to continue it. And given that her blood pressure is slightly elevated today, we would want additional blood pressure readings to assess if this is a consistent trend or if this is just one isolated elevated blood pressure reading potentially due to something like white coat hypertension or nervousness in the doctor's office.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. I would recommend that this patient check her blood pressure at home to help us with that assessment and we can certainly provide her with a prescription for a blood pressure cuff or she could go to her local pharmacy to check her blood pressure. Another medication we can also recommend initiating in this patient is Jardiance or empagliflozin, which again will be the focus of our talk today. So we will get into this evidence behind that recommendation in a few minutes.
1: And I'd also like to narrow down and focus on this patient's diabetes diagnosis next. So looking at that disease state, the patient had a hemoglobin A1c today of 8.2%. So this indicates that the patient's diabetes is currently uncontrolled. Um, According to ADA guidelines or the American Diabetes Association, this patient's goal, A1C, would be less than 7% considering her age and comorbidities. So she's currently on metformin, 1,000 milligrams twice a day. So she is at an optimal dose of metformin already. So therefore, we're going to need to consider additional options to control her blood glucose in addition to any lifestyle modifications that she either is making or, or should be making that we can educate her on. And so, one of those medication classes that we can consider are um, SGLT2 inhibitors. So that is a specific class of diabetes medications. And the one that I'd like to um, narrow in on is actually empagliflozin or Jardiance, since that's the trial that we're talking about today. And this would be a good option for her because this medication can be considered to target both of her conditions. Um, so heart failure with preserved ejection fraction as well as diabetes. And that's a nice characteristic of this sodium glucose transport protein 2 inhibitor.
2: And also talking about her hypertension, we did touch on this a little bit. The patient is currently on an ACE inhibitor, which is lisinopril, but we did notice today her blood pressure is slightly elevated at 138 over 78. Again, we do want to see that overall blood pressure trend and recommend that the patient check her blood pressure at home. However, the medication that we will be discussing today, the Jardians or empagliflozin, can also help lower blood pressure. So that's a third benefit for this patient that this medication can offer.
0: Thank you both for breaking down the therapies for each of these disease states. And we will come back to that in a little bit, but for now let's shift our focus and talk a little bit about the trial.
1: I'd like to start off and lead us into a summary of the study methods by really talking about the rationale behind this study. So sodium glucose cotransporter 2 inhibitors, or those SGLT2 inhibitor class that we were discussing, are known to reduce the risk of hospitalization for heart failure, particularly in heart failure with reduced injection fraction. So this was something historically that had been studied. However, it remained unknown as to whether this benefit existed in heart failure with preserved injection fraction. So therefore, the objective of this study, our emperor-preserved trial, was to evaluate the effect of an SGLT2 inhibitor, and again, specifically, they looked at empagliflozin, on the major heart failure outcomes and heart failure with preserved ejection
2: fraction. Jumping into this study design, this study was a randomized, double-blind, parallel-group, placebo-controlled, an event-driven trial. So the study participants included adult patients with an NYHA class 2 to 4 chronic heart failure with preserved ejection fraction with and without diabetes. They also had an NT probnp level greater than or equal to 300 or for those with atrial fibrillation greater than or equal to 900. They did exclude patients that had a disorder that could change their clinical course or jeopardize their safety or participation.
1: Thanks for talking about the study design, Gerjode. I'm just going to get a little bit into um, the intervention versus the comparator groups. So, patients meeting those inclusion criteria were randomly assigned to receive either placebo or empagliflozin at a dose of 10 milligrams by mouth once daily. And this was provided in addition to usual therapy that those patients would receive. For their disease state, there were a total of 5,988 patients who were randomly assigned. About half of those patients were put into each group at 622 centers across 23 countries. The baseline characteristics were similar across those two groups.
2: So the primary outcome was looking at a composite of adjudicated cardiovascular death or hospitalizations or heart failure and these were analyzed as the time to the first event, they did find that the primary composite outcome was lower with empagliflozin. So it occurred in only 415 patients, or 13.8% in the empagliflozin group, and in 511 patients, or 17.1% in the placebo group. This led to a hazard ratio of 0.79, and that 95% confidence interval was between 0.69 to 0.9. So therefore, this was a statistically significant difference between the two treatment groups. And calculating that number needed to treat, the number of patients needed to be treated with empagliflozin or Jardians to prevent one primary outcome event, again, the cardiovascular disease or heart failure hospitalization, would be 31 during their median trial period of 26 months.
1: And now we'll shift into a few of the secondary outcomes of this study. So the secondary outcomes were total hospitalizations for heart failure, both first hospitalization as well as recurrent hospitalization. And they also looked at the rate of decline in estimated glomerular filtration rate, EGFR. The total number of heart failure hospitalizations was lower with empagliflozin than with placebo. This was 407 versus 541 hospitalizations respectively for those groups. And this yielded a hazard ratio of 073 This was on a 95% confidence interval of 0.61 to 0.88. There was also a p-value less than 0.001, indicating statistical significance. So the rate of decline in the EGFR was slower in the impenbufolid group compared to placebo. This was negative 1.25 versus negative 2.62 milliliters per minute per 1.73 meters squared per year. And this also had a p-value of less than 0.001,
2: indicating statistical significance. As for the safety outcomes, I think it's important to discuss the most common adverse effects of this class of medications. The SGLT2 inhibitors may cause either genital urinary fungal or urinary tract infections, increased urinary output, hypovolemia, as well as dizziness. And there have been cases of acute kidney injury, Bone fractures, lower limb amputations, as well as ketoacidosis that have again been reported in patients on a medication in this class. Due to these reported cases, it's important to consider a patient's risk factors prior to initiating a medication in this class. Additionally, we do have to monitor patients' renal function, and these medications must be renally dose adjusted to avoid complications. The recommendation for the renal dose adjustment often varies based on the indication, so it is important to double-check that dose. In the Emperor Preserve trial, they did find that uncomplicated genital and urinary tract infections as well as hypotension were more common in the empagliflozin group when compared to the placebo group. They also noted that more serious adverse events occurred uh, more frequently in the placebo group, so... It was 47.9% in empagliflozin versus 51.6% in placebo group.
0: What would you say are some of the strengths and weaknesses of the study? The strengths of the study
1: include its multi-center and multinational design, where participants were selected at 622 centers in 23 countries. This actually shows that the study results can be applied to patients across multiple different geographical areas around the world, which is important. The weakness is the limited number of participants from various races. So, the majority of the patients in this study were white, about 75% of them, with only about 4% reporting being Black participants and about 14% reporting being an Asian participant. The remaining 5% were classified either as other or the race was missing, not reported. This means we must be careful about the generalizability of these study results to patients with different races.
2: And another strength that I would like to add is that this study did include pre-specified subgroups in the protocols, such as both patients with diabetes and those without. So again, the generalizability of these study results will be applicable to many more patients. However, it is also important to note that although the effects were generally consistent across the pre-specified subgroups, this was not always the case. So, for example, patients with a left ventricular ejection fraction greater than or equal to 60%, those that were black and other races, a BMI greater than or equal to 30 kilograms per meter squared, and those with an NYHA class 3 or 4 hef at baseline were not found to have a statistically significant difference between the two groups as related to the primary outcome that we discussed.
0: Is there anything about this trial that y'all found interesting that we just haven't discussed yet? What I found interesting
1: was that empagliflozin led to a 21% lower relative risk in the composite outcome of cardiovascular death or heart failure hospitalization. However, this was mainly driven by the 29% lower risk of heart failure hospitalization. The cardiovascular death was not found to be statistically significant difference between the two treatment groups.
2: I touched on this a little bit, but what I found interesting as well was that the effect of empagliflozin on the primary outcome events was consistent in patients both with or without diabetes at baseline. So I feel like this will change practice as this class of medications was historically thought to be a diabetes-only drug, but now we can use this in the right patients regardless of diabetes um, at baseline or not.
0: Let's shift back now to our patient case. So how do you think this patient matches the study population, and do you think that the study results can be applied to AB?
1: So patient AB matches the study population really well. As a reminder, she is a 62-year-old Caucasian female from North America, and she was NYHA class 2 heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. This makes me confident that we can sort of generalize the study results and that they would apply to her.
2: Yeah, she meets the criteria for those patients who would experience a statistically significant difference between empagliflozin and placebo, or her heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, so she would benefit significantly from the addition of this medication to her regimen.
1: And as we mentioned earlier, this patient would also benefit from this class of medications because she does have diabetes. So as a reminder, according to those American Diabetes Association guidelines, after first-line therapy. Um, Which historically has been metformin, but now it's starting to be considered that you know perhaps based on their other indications, you might be able to go right to you know something like an SGLT two inhibitor, for example. But according to those guidelines, after you implement a therapy and think about comprehensive lifestyle modifications, you really, really do want to assess the patient for indicators of high risk or established um, heart disease, so atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, uh, CKD or chronic kidney disease and also heart failure. So given this patient's past medical history of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, one would consider the addition of SGLT2 inhibitors with proven benefit in this population for her diabetes as
2: well. And additionally, we did talk about this patient's other comorbidities which included hypertension and today's blood pressure was slightly elevated, so again this would likely be reduced to goal with the addition of an SGLT2 inhibitor such
0: as Jardiance. So just to summarize, you would both recommend the addition of empagliflozin to this patient's heart failure and diabetes regimen to offer a reduction in the risk of cardiovascular death and heart failure hospitalization, as well as to get better glycemic and blood pressure control. How do you think the results of this study compare to others that have been done, and is there any further research that you would recommend in this area?
1: So this study's results are consistent with previous reports that SGLT2 inhibitors reduce the risk of heart failure hospitalizations in patients with type 2 diabetes mellitus. However, the key difference is that this study included patients both with diabetes and without, as well as having a larger patient population in this study.
2: Previous studies involving other classes of medications failed to show a statistically significant difference on the primary heart failure outcome. However, it is important to note that there are ongoing studies involving other SGLT2 inhibitors in the setting of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. Specifically, we know the DELIVER study is looking more for SEGA in patients with hf And I would love to see that that trial had similar efficacy as well as the other SGLT2 inhibitors in the setting of hf
0: Well, that was a great discussion. I definitely learned a lot and hopefully our listeners learned a lot as well. So thank you so much for both of you for taking the time to uh, talk with me today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. For information on how to claim CE credit, as I mentioned previously, please refer to the episode description. If you have any feedback on this episode or any other episode, feel free to email the show directly at pawneecast at gmail.com. And you can also contact the Pharmacists Association of Western New York directly, both on Facebook at Facebook.com slash rx and through our website at PawneeRx.org. And as a reminder, please be sure to rate and review us on your podcasting app to let others know about the show. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you all stay warm.